And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back. Matt DeCourcy here with Matt Watson for another episode of Startup Hustle and part 26 of our 52-part series about how to start a tech company. Hi, Matt. How's it going, man? I'm good. I'm good. And, you know, we missed last week's episode because shit happens is really the best Uh, way. Nah, it's just summer vacation time. Let's be real. You weren't feeling well. That's true. I was sick. You're right. You're right. I was sick. Yeah. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, much like many startups and early stage tech companies, we may have made some inappropriate estimations in the timeline of our deliverables as we are now openly admitting we are three full weeks behind our in our 2021 series which is now a 2021 you know what 2022 series that sounds like technical debt we're behind (laughs) oh wow let's talk about how we're going to avoid it but yeah yeah so look this is uh for those of you listening, today's episode of Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. That's a business that Matt and I own together. We have over 200 IT professionals, web developers, QA testers, product managers, dev managers, and people that try to spend a fair amount of time figuring out how the hell to avoid technical debt. Matt, what is technical debt? Oh, there's got to be some official dictionary definition here, but um, it's really all the shit that we should have did that we didn't do that at some point in time comes back to bite us in the ass. You know, in our personal lives, it'd almost be like not paying our taxes. Eventually that shit catches up to us. I mean, maybe that's the best way to look at it. (laughs) I, I think that's a fair comparison. You know, I've always referred to technical debt as all of the things you, it's, It's having to go back and fix all the things that you didn't know you didn't know or the things that you knew were shortcuts. But for whatever reason, you said, go ahead, just does it work? And and, you know, you're looking at, yes, it works, but it might not always work. Or in some cases, as you continue to add rubber bands to the ball of rubber bands, you eventually get to a point where you need to undo said ball of rubber bands and uh, and just kind of figure some shit out. Well, you know, through all of our hundreds of episodes of this podcast, a few times we've talked about the problem of the guy that he's opening a restaurant and he's so worried about cleaning the restaurant and get everything so perfect, he never opens it, right? Where if you just threw some shit together, you, you get some used furniture and you you know, whatever the hell you do when you open your restaurant, you're in business, but you got some technical debt, right? You're like, ah, we need to remodel this thing. I need to buy a new stove. I didn't really train the cook how to do this the right way. Whatever. You got all these problems. There's there's roaches. Whatever. But you're in business. That's the difference, right? Where it is as a startup and a technical company, 
you can spend forever perfecting every single thing of like our software does every single feature. It has the perfect documentation. It's ready to scale to 8 billion users because every human on the planet's going to use it, right? You can perfect every one of those things, but you'll never ship a product. You, you'll be the guy in the restaurant that never opened the door, right? And that that's the problem with software is it it's impossible to perfect it. And I can give you a real world example from Netrio that happened today. So we're we're ship we're releasing a new version of Prefix, which is our free tool, and we're making a paid version of it. And somebody internally is upset because if you have the paid version of it, it's not easy to go for, from the paid version of it, but to the paid version of our other product, you'd have to have two bills. So do we sell the product to make money or do we put it back on the shelf and spend a bunch of time doing engineering work to simplify that, right? Like these are the types of things that become technical debt. And it's like, are you either in business or not in business because you're so worried about perfecting every little thing? So Matt, speaking of perfecting every little thing, I thought that I would take a little time to, you know, when we use the term technical debt, that's broad and far reaching. So I'm going to rattle off a, a list of different types of technical debt. And if we had to talk about all these, this would be like another 52 part series. So we've got architecture debt, build debt, code debt, defect debt, design, documentation, infrastructure, people, process, requirements, services, test automation, and just general testing. Those are all different Legos that you can stack on top of each other when building a technical debt castle. You know what um, I just heard? You know, like a, 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 what's that? Job security, job security, job security, job security. That's what I just heard. <laughs> I, as a founder and an entrepreneur, I heard, <laughs> I heard, wah, 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 wah. No, that's, you, the sound, that's the sound it made when I opened the business's bank account. Yeah. Because th that's what, that's the sound that comes out of your bank account and your budget when you go to see uh, about the technical debt. But I mean, overall, like when it comes to, I mean, in a business, we're talking more specifically about software and tech companies, but businesses in general accumulate, accumulate a, a sort of technical debt that is eventually, like you said, it's kind of like taxes. If you don't pay it, eventually someone's going to show up at the door and either lock it mm -hmm. or haul you away. Or and, and those people could be everything from your customers, your clients, your own employees, your partners, uh, I mean, a whole lot of different or, stuff. Or, way, or, or, go ahead. Or you sell the company and you run the fuck away from all of it. True. That is, that is what there is an exit, the technical debt exit <laughs> strategy. Let me add that to the notes. <laughs> but in the end, someone's going to have to clean it up. And, you know, much like an oil spill, um, it, it sometimes takes specific processes uh, technicians. And, you know, I like you, Matt, we, we like to share real life examples. When we first uh, started creating uh, Gigabook, uh, it wasn't, it didn't have as, as much stuff stacked onto it. Yeah. But as you build software, you get more layers, more functions, more features. And we had created Gigabook in a specific type of coding that was in its swan song on the way out, meaning like it wasn't what people use. It was procedural coding, which ended up, you'll hear a lot of developers and technical people talk about spaghetti code, meaning it looks like a messy, sloppy bowl of spaghetti. So when you go to pull one noodle out, it's touching a whole bunch of other stuff. And really in the end, 
we we got to the point where the complexity of the platform um, was was interconnected in a way that didn't really have a lot of logic to it. So we would go to fix one thing and maybe break three or four others, and that's what technical that's what technical debt does. And um, you know, the, and people think about and Matt, you can speak to this as well. So you know, we use Gigabook as an example. So putting something on and off in a calendar is not inherently that difficult. It was the 19 other if then scenarios that could occur after. And you start building and stacking and layering things into your tech company. And it doesn't just turn, it doesn't get twice as hard or three times or four times as hard. Those are in like multiples. It's like four times harder once you yeah. have another layer, eight times 16, 32 infinite. Yeah. And we and that's, we had that's that same, really what the technical debt starts to mess with. Well, and, and some of what you're talking about there isn't so much technical debt. It's also just product complexity, right? And, you know, we had the same problem at Venn Solutions, my, my former company, and it was a CRM for car dealers. And the problem is at some point in time, software gets so complicated. It has so many levers and switches and options, kind of like Gigabook, that nobody even knows what they all do. And True. like nobody in the employee, in the, in the company, none of the employees in the company even know what all the different things do. And then as a developer, if I'm the one in the code trying to change that shit, I'm breaking stuff I didn't even know existed, right? Like, because there's so much complexity, like you said, with Gigabook. But the... And some of this does come down to technical debt because the problem is eventually the product is so complicated, everybody is scared to change it. And you sort of stuck with what you got because you're like, the risk of changing this far outweighs the reward of whatever it was we were wanting to improve because it's just so inherently complicated. And we know we're going to break all sorts of shit if we touch it. And, and much like a Weezer song, once you start pulling that string on the sweater, yeah, uh, you watch it unravel as you walk away, and that's the thing. Is so like <laughs> well, you I sell mean, the company and is, you walk away. The, there you go. That's when we have so, we have just invented a new type of of exit, which actually isn't new. I think that that type of exit has been occurring for uh, since technology existed. But you're totally right, and we run into this a lot at full scale because people will reach out about what we do and. Um, you know, sometimes you say, well, what tech stack do you use? And they name something that has just not been common for a and they, while. And, and they want to outsource with it. to us to yep. fix it, right? Yep. And so, so much of the technical debt part of this, we can talk about coding and specifically the coding parts of it. Sometimes it just comes down to trends, right? You're like, when you first wrote the first version of Gigabook, you may have done what was normal in that day and time and it was trendy and that was the common way of doing things. Well, three years go by, five years go by. There's newer versions of PHP. Now people are using MVC style frameworks or now they're using front end frameworks or using Angular or they're using React or whatever. So now, so no matter, no matter what it is, you look back and you're like, man, the way they did this shit five years ago was stupid. They don't use all this cool new stuff. But the thing is, no matter how you do it today, the same thing is going to happen five years from now. It won't be React. It won't be Angular. It'll be something else five years from now. And you'll look oh, back yeah. at whatever it is you did today. It's a never-ending thing. It's just the trends that goes on with software development. And part of the problem with software developers is they always want to do whatever the trendy thing is because it looks good on their resume. What they don't want to do is get stuck in the old antiquated technologies like you said. Like, oh, they're writing COBOL or Delphi or Perl or Cold Fusion or Flash or like some of these technologies that are like really dead. Like there are companies that still use them, 
And by the way, if you have those skills, go find one of those companies because they'll probably pay super top dollar. But past that, it, it's hard to find a job because, you know, if you're looking for a .NET developer or Java or whatever it is, you're not going to hire somebody who's a Perl expert. It's just hard. But that's what happens with the trends is these companies build things. And they just keep maintaining them forever. And that's why you have all these companies to this day still use COBOL and mainframe technologies because you know what? They work. For those of you listening, I want to point out that before the last couple episodes, Matt has looked at our set list and gone, man, I'm not even sure we're going to be able to talk about this for 40 minutes. And then I get him started on some of this and, um, and we end up with like an hour and a half long episode. And why is that awesome? Because Matt knows what he's talking about. This is someone that has built two tech companies and legit taken them all the way to the finish line. Uh, so listen to what he has to say about a lot of this. You know, one of the things that you that we were talking about along the way, you know, so if you're trying to build it, the, the goal as an entrepreneur in a tech company or really if you want to do something bigger, is you need to make it bigger than you and bigger than the, than the couple people that may have started it. So now you look at like scaling a team. So what does that mean? It means being able to, in, in a somewhat frictionless way, and uh, improve the capacity of what you're delivering or even the the number of people that are on it. And I think when it comes to avoiding technical debt, one of the things that's a, a key is, is like you said, it's like there'll be like two people that know how something works and there aren't e basic notes. And like some of that, it can be pretty basic, like a simple if then sheet. When I say if thens, like you, like you can bring in a new developer, or if you lose a key member of a team, you might end up having that person need a month, maybe even more to really understand like what, what does this, what does that, what you know, like. And when I say if then, if this occurs, then do yeah. this. And, and that's where developers, uh, it, you know, it, without that simple, you know, documentation, it doesn't have to be fancy. Like we had to go through that with Gigabook because we'd try to bring someone new in and, you know, it was, it was stupid for us to think that they would just immediately say, oh, when this occurs, it's going to trigger four different reminders. It's got yeah. to put this price on an invoice. It's got to do this. It's got to do that. And like in Gigabook's case, like some of these if thens for one simple thing go in like 15 different directions, adding to an invoice, adding to an email, adding to a text message, adding to different kinds of emails and like all this stuff. And if you don't keep track of the basics of that in the beginning, you can't test it you can't scale it and you can't really do anything with it. So like, I think that on the most basic level, just having an inherent understanding of your if then scenarios is probably in my, at least in my experience, one of the cornerstones for avoiding technical debt. What do you, what, well, what are your thoughts on any of that? Well, I would say based on what you're just describing, there's four key pillars. You've got some sort of product re like requirements documentation that was done in advance that said what is this thing supposed to do right then you've got customer documentation so that potentially the, de the developers or employees can go back and see what kind of documentation exists for um the customers because that can be helpful to understand what it's supposed to do one of the most important things is unit testing or some form of automated testing that can save the developer's ass right like if i've got a series of of tests and maybe the developer doesn't really understand how it all works, but he knows or she knows if I make some changes, I can run these tests and these tests will help me validate I didn't break something. Those are really important. 
and the last thing that I would say is simply tribal knowledge. And if you don't have developers that have been around for long enough, you lose that tribal knowledge of how the system works, right? All four of those things are important. But as we talked about earlier, when you're first starting a company, you don't have time to perfect all four of those things. You're just not going to do it. What you end up mostly with is probably tribal knowledge and then probably a half-assed job at one of the other three. But you're not going to perfect all four of them. It just doesn't happen. And that's, well, that's where, when the technical debt collector yeah. comes around and look, this is a real, like, this is a real thing, people. This is, and and it can have a damaging effect on your business because if the technical debt becomes such a, such a big mountain, you can't just go through it. You can't walk around it. It's a, it's a long path to get around it, to get over it to, or to tunnel through it. And so the, an example is, is, you know, you look at, at overall, like the, the, the limited bandwidth that early stage tech companies have, maybe you have, maybe you've grown to the point where you have five or six developers, you want them solving problems that bring in more customers or retain the ones you have. And if they have to spend all their time, energy and emotion, rebuilding all the shit that you've already built poorly, you're not going to make that forward progress because you have to have a working platform and software on the most basic level, or you run into scenarios where what you want to do isn't even possible because of, it won't connect or it won't behave well with whatever you have already constructed. Well, and in, in some ways we're talking about almost a little two different problems, right? We're talking about scalability problems and we're also talking about technical debt. And and these things are intertwined to some degree. But but some of it with hiring developers essentially is is, is really a scalability problem of we had this problem at at Netro. Netro's 20 years old and they've got two really, really, really good developers. And as the company has grown, those two are the bottleneck, right? And so it's really hard to hire new people, get them up to speed. They don't understand all the tribal knowledge that the other two have, right? And so then on top of it, they're dealing with a code base that's old, that has a lot of technical debt. It's messy, has a lot of problems, right? And it just becomes hard to even bring new people in and get them up to speed quickly, right? And add to that, if you're using a weird-ass programming language that you can't even hire for. So that, I mean that's the problem and it's so technical debt is part of it but but a lot of this manifests itself in scalability issues right where in as we've been talking about it's it's you're between a rock and a hard place of when you first start your company you're not going to do everything perfectly but eventually these things start yeah Yeah, which is okay like i said what you really do is you just get to a certain point you sell it you run away and you let somebody else come in and fix it yeah, I think no? it's the part of part of an evolved part of the evolved tech entrepreneur uh, is is being able to know that you're accumulating technical debt and having some plan for addressing it if and when needed. I think some of it's okay because uh, you know in the beginning I I'll be the first person to tell you that it's okay to move fast and break things. I mean that's just kind of the way it goes. Get it out, get it out to market, get feedback on it, and have a better understanding of what you need to build and how, rather than trying to. You know, Matt, you used one of my favorite analogies earlier, just the story of the shopkeeper that never opens his store because he's too busy cleaning it. You don't want to yeah. be that person in the beginning either. We've seen that occur with 
with clients we've had at full scale and you know they're months behind uh some kind of release and it, when you look under the hood it's because they're sitting there fucking around with whether or not buttons should be green or blue and you know the not does the button work and some of that stuff is is kind of per, literally defines that example of what we're talking about now in the beginning you know like so now what's some technical debt that it, like you should assume that you're going to accumulate well you're definitely going to accumulate a certain number of bugs and architecture problems and so by bugs what i mean is you know, if you go into the software and you do X, Y, Z, it's not going to work or it's going to blow up or uh, it only supports up to 100 things. Once you add 101, it doesn't work, right? Whatever it is, there's some certain limitations in the software that if you work around those, it'll work fine. And honestly, every software has them. Every, every software product is has problems. I don't remember. I think it was on CVS's website or some of the other day. And I was scheduling my appointment to be tested for COVID. I think that's what it was. And when I typed in the date, which you would think would be a pretty simple thing, if I hit backspace, it had like numbers and slashes together, and then I couldn't type in a date. If I typed in the date the first time, it worked perfectly. But if you had to like backspace it, it was all sorts of screwed up and it went nuts. Seems like a simple problem, but at some point in time, you're like, hey, uh, type in the date the right way the first time and it works perfect and we're in business and let's go versus like, oh, we're going to have to spend a couple of weeks figuring out how to perfect this thing. The, and the, those are the things you deal with, right? Now, that one was obnoxious as hell and stupid. And they should fix it. But as a software company, you end up stacking up a bunch of these things. And it's just part of the deal. If you run into all these known issues and you can spend forever fixing all these little edge cases and known issues or delivering value to your customers that they actually care about. And it's always it, it's always a balancing act of chasing this little shit that maybe doesn't quite matter and trying to per, be a perfectionist Versus like, ah, this thing's got a little hair on it. And we know there's some problems like, ah, don't go over there. Don't do that thing. Versus giving the customer what they really need. So I, I think that there's roughly 10 to 20 key ingredients of most software platforms that if they aren't working like great, you have no business messing with anything else until those are right. Yes. Um, like we've been using Gigabook as an example. Like if you can't add or edit a, an appointment on the calendar, we have no business doing other stuff until that's fixed. I yeah. Think part of part is like really determined and it could, it's going to be different for every platform. Like you mentioned, like if you have a date picker that you can't add a date to and an appointment, anything, uh, it's useless. It's completely right. useless. You have no business but if you working don't... on other stuff. Like, but if you don't like in but Gigabook how it uploads a photo for the type of appointment and it doesn't resize it or crop it the right way or the photo size is too big, it doesn't downsample it so the photo is smaller and more lightweight and it doesn't work perfect. Like, but it still works, right, right. at some point right. in time. So, and, and that's what you weigh. And, you know, I've run into this. So, you know, still using Gigabook as an example, we have one tester on the team who's been with the platform for the life of the platform. And he really likes finding bugs. But some, but at one point we had to say like, Hey dude, some of these are like way fringe, like, like yeah. there's no point in trying to solve for this. Cause it would be like, if you entered something, deleted it three times and went back to do it again, you may have to refresh the page, you know, but, but then we start looking at it. We're like, how often can, or could that, or would that even occur? That's the yeah. kind of technical debt that. I'll leave, I'll leave. That's more like a, I don't know if that's even technical debt. That's like the technical debt jar of coins. They're bugs. They're known They're issues bugs. or bugs, right? Yeah. 
And so earlier I talked about the other big category is architecture issues. And when I say architecture issues, that usually gets into like scalability problems, right? Like take Instagram as an example, you know, they're like, okay, how do we build this and scale to handle a hundred users or a thousand users or 10,000 users, right? Whenever you're designing or a hundred million, right? But when they first started out, they had to make some sort of architecture decisions around how far will this scale? How will it perform? What happens, right? Well, they, I mean, they had dreams of it getting to a billion users or whatever, but when they first started out, they had to pick some sort of goal and they knew there were issues. They know like, ah, this will work really well until X. When we hit X, these things are all going to break. And what's funny is, you know that certain things are going to break, but then there's a bunch more that you don't know, right? You think this is, this thing is going to work until it doesn't. And that's that's another part of the technical debt and kind of scalability problems you run into as a young startup is you 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 only know you don't know what you don't know to some degree about these things. Like you know certain architecture decisions you make, but then there are other things that crop up. And honestly, this is why people need a product like Stackify, what I built, is to help find these performance issues and bugs or whatever. But it, it it's just unknowns. You don't know what you don't know. You're gonna hit a brick a brick wall somewhere. And I know at Gigabook, you probably got some examples of this too, right? It's like, oh, the calendar calendar syncing thing worked great until you run across somebody who has like 10,000 appointments and then it fails gloriously and explodes, right? Like there's just limits. Or, or it takes forever or it takes yeah. forever to complete. Yeah. You and just some, can't so see them. The, so some of the things that I see early stage founders making mistakes on is, you, okay, uh, you heard the phrase, you know, we'll have to cross that bridge when we exactly. get to it. Yep. You have to make some of these decisions. So some of it, it's like, you know, at some point, Instagram was a day one startup, just like all the rest of ours. And it wasn't this billion dollar acquisition or, or what it is. And, you know, they may have very well looked at it and said, our architecture right now can support 100,000 users. Yeah. And that's that, that's that evolved state of tech entrepreneurship is, is understanding and being able to know that the bridge is, is approaching and adequately handling it, but worrying about what your architecture is going to do when you have a million users, when you currently have 32, exactly shouldn't be it yeah. doesn't need to be the number one thing that you're concerned about and it's a balancing about act. slowing things Absolutely. down and spending money. It's plate spinning, you know, like and that and that's part of what you have to realize. And another thing you need to realize, Matt, is that today's episode of Startup Hustle is brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. We've built a whole company around trying to help other tech companies do a better job at succeeding when it comes to scaling their development plans. And so much of that is about finding experienced people that have already I've uh, already uh, been exposed to technical debt in other projects. So hopefully they aren't creating it for you. But, you know, Matt, there's another thing you said. So I, I've learned, I've learned definitely this one thing in the last 12 plus years of doing this tech stuff is that all software has bugs and that all absolutely have problems. That's actually absolutely. two things, but those are the two things that, and I say that a lot, but uh, and, you know, there are, I, I just, I just Googled this to make sure I was looking at, because uh, someone had brought up an example, um, you know, when Microsoft Word uh, it was launched, it had 30,000 known bugs. You know, it was like, I mean, and, and some of that just didn't matter. And some of that's like ice boxed and way in the back and just not something you're paying attention to. 
but it not being able to open or something like that is a critical error. That's what you got to look for. I was at CVS yesterday and I don't know if you've been to one recently, but they added self checkout, which is like my favorite thing in the world. And at my CVS down the street, they've got two self checkout kiosks and guess what? One of them yesterday didn't work. It's got a big old software error on it. <sighs> yeah, it happens. Whatever. I just error. use the other one it's to move on. Right. Error. It's, it's inevitable. Like software just breaks. It just when, when I see big box prod products um, and they have an error or an issue, um, I just kind of chuckle. I, I mean, honestly, it kind of makes me feel better. Like, okay, so it happens to everyone. Um, Absolutely, yeah. That's just the that's just the way it goes. All right, so you know, one of the things that I want to get back to about the importance of like uh, of technical debt and knowing when you when it exists is, you know, it, it can create that opportunity cost, meaning the opportunity Absolutely. to do other things. And then in some cases, um, so I ran into this with Gigabook, and I'm not going to say who, but at the time, we were still really early in our process. And we had a very small team, you know, we had there was like, the whole entire company was five people. And, uh, and we had done a really good job of marketing ourselves. And I had the opportunity to, to do business with two really big clients and two like, well, one was a city and the other was a huge furniture chain. And the problem that I had was we hadn't fully addressed all of the technical debt problems yet. So what was what happened was when we needed to, to fix or change a few things, we weren't able to be agile enough to do it to get either one of those clients into our platform. Um, and that created that was opportunity cost defined, meaning we had let the technical debt accumulate to the point where we weren't able to make changes or updates fast enough to accommodate either one of these like mega clients. Yep. And we came in second place out of a whole bunch of other companies. And the, the companies that got the business were just bigger, more established places because yep. they were they had a better handle on it, even though they liked our product more we lost confidence uh, from the potential users and big users that we would be able to support it, yep. change it or build it. And, you know, that's like, that's the worst feeling of all, by the way. Well, and here, here's, so opportunity, I'm, it's so funny you brought this up as a topic because it's exactly the one I was thinking about we, we hadn't talked about. And let's take another good example of this. Think about like Facebook when it first started, right? It started off at, at Harvard, right? And went college to college to college. So at some point in time, it's about market share and a race, right? It's a race to capture market share, right? Where if they, and it's a balancing act, because at some point in time, whatever little thing that Zuckerberg uh, threw together was only going to scale so far, right? So it, it does at some point, does he have to stop and say, look, we can't bring on any more colleges because I've got to make this thing scale? Or are we going to run the race as fast as possible to go capture market share as fast as possible, right? Knowing that you could be living dangerously and you're going to hit a brick wall at some point in time where this thing's not going to scale. And when you're in those early stages of startup, sometimes that's the fine line you have to walk down. And it all comes down to opportunity costs, and it can be a race to get market share and, and who's going to win or not. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's a very similar to, you know, what I just mentioned. And, you know, it's like, I don't know. And these, these things are, 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 they're going to happen, you know? So, you know, so while we're talking about how to avoid technical debt, I mean, what's your, like, what's your, if you think about, if you sit down 
All right. So here we are. Uh, you're over 40 now, dude. So you're getting old like me, but that means that we are more experienced and we've learned a few things. When you go back and look at like the things you could have, should have, or would do differently if you started something over new, like where would that begin? Well, to me, it's sort of like everything, almost similar to startups, right? You look at, you look back at a startup or, you know, Gigabook, whatever it is, a certain point in time, you're like, man, I can't believe we did X or Y at that point in time. But generally speaking, you make the best decision you can at the moment with the information you have, just like as a developer or just like as a startup making a business decision, right? And so as a developer, you know, when I created something using Microsoft Azure seven years ago, that was the best way to do it the way I did it. Now today, Azure has uh, no longer supports the way I designed it. So now it's technical debt and I've got to change how it works. But when I made it then, based on, you know, all the knowledge I had, it was the right way to do it. And the problem is at some point in time, things just change. They, they change with the trends or you made the best decision you could make at the time, but things just change over time and ultimately we find better ways to do things but when you made the decision hopefully you you made the best decision of the way to do it at that time I, I think if you have the ability to try to create your product roadmap and timeline like it and you have to really 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 try to consider and think about what you might need or want something to do later and which is challenged because sometimes you just don't know until you get that feedback. But I think that that's the importance of getting something out early by talking to users. I think one of the things like, you know, we've been picking on Gigabook a little bit on this, but, you know, we could have done a better job in the beginning of really going out and trying to target the end user. Like we, you know, it was able to, we were able to build and plan for 80% of it based on the knowledge we already had as business owners and stuff like that. But what we didn't do is go out and talk to a wide enough swath of potential users that would have found different importance in different things. And that's the thing that that is also challenging to do because you can talk to 10 different business owners that own 10 businesses that from the outside looking in appear the same and they do things 10 different ways. So, you know, so much of that is a challenge, but if you have an idea, like, for example, like if you know you want to add payment collection and having, you know, because having that future product roadmap a little more established, it will help the build in the beginning phases of it to know that you're going to, you need or want or will be connecting to multiple sources of incoming data or stuff like that. And I think that, you know, building software 10 years ago is so much different than it is now, because now we're in this like world of hyper connectivity. So how are you going to get, how are you going to bring it? And just some of it's like data, data planning, you know, you're going to, mm -hmm. cause you don't tell Google how, how it's going to give you anything. You build your shit to accommodate the way Google is going to give data or input and, you know, that kind of planning and like, how do you make all this data jive? There's a lot of mapping and just weird shit. And really, in the end, it's just product management. But I think as a startup, you're oftentimes just trying to keep your head above water and it's easy to get away from. You may have a product timeline in the beginning, but you lose that agility. You become that that flat footed fighter or athlete that's not literally on their toes yeah at some point in times it's like 
what is good enough, right? If it, if it works, it works. And, um, I was on Amazon earlier in like AWS and they have a, a pretty UI. It looks great. Right. But I need to go in and change my email address from Stockify to Netrio. And for whatever reason, when I click the link to do that, it brings up some ugly ass page. that doesn't look like anything else in Amazon. And I guess that's technical debt. They never updated the style of it, but you know what? The page worked and nobody gives a shit. It just works. Right. And no doubt Amazon, as big as they are, have got a whole laundry list of, of things just like that, but it just works. Right. And you would be amazed behind the scenes at a lot of big companies, how shitty their technology really is. And they hold it all together with like Excel and spreadsheets and goofy shit. And I want to give out a shout out to um, the guys from Lot Pop. Remember them? They had built oh, yeah. like a whole freaking business on Google Spreadsheets that today still blows me away as the most complicated thing I've ever seen in Google Spreadsheets. That was absolutely beautiful. But they made it work. Like somehow or another, they made like a whole business <laughs> with software business with Google Spreadsheets and made this shit work. And they can always then make it more complicated later, right? I'm still impressed at what they were able to do. Yeah, and that's when that's that buy buy versus build, and you know we yeah we have either either talked about that already or we will in the coming episodes talk about pro lack of product planning. There you go, our own fifty two part series is sometimes lacking the planning. But um, you know another thing I, I that I think is important when it all right. So you can put yourself in weird situations where you have to accept technical debt, meaning like. You're like, hey, it's 50 cents or nothing, you know, and like that's the equivalent of like, and so that, that product timeline, it can easily be interrupted because maybe one piece of it goes through, maybe it's just simply on time, maybe it's ahead or certain things slow down. Uh, one of the things as a, as a tech founder, you're going to have to realize is that oftentimes you can't. So it's not just always A, B, C, D. Sometimes if C is slow, it's going to completely disrupt D, E, and F. And then sometimes you can continue to uh, operate step C. Maybe it looks like the Death Star before it's completely finished, but it can still blow up a planet, right? It can still, it's still uh, somewhat operational is that back to that juggling act of figuring out what you can get away with and what you can't really in the end. I think that uh, for me, it's, I've heard, I've said this too many times. Hey, does it work? Yeah. Does it work? Does it, work? it works. Okay. Then let's move on. Now yep. I, I've also been the driver of, of much accumulated technical debt. So now, Matt, one of the things that I, I see a lot at full scale is that, you know, I see a lot of teams that are incoming teams that don't have any testing protocol, any like QA. Is that is that the best way to accumulate unknown technical debt is to just simply not have people that look for it and, and calculate it? You know, it's a double-edged sword. I mean, I've probably told you this before, but we sold VIN solutions and didn't have a QA team or a product management team and a bunch of other things. But part of it was I knew how all the shit was supposed to work and it was all in my head and whatever, but I don't scale either. Right. So when I left, they had to probably hire 50 people to figure all this shit out. Like I said, you just sell the company and run away and then they have to solve these problems. It works. But, um, 
testing absolutely helps. And that's why I mentioned it was probably one of the, one of those kind of four pillars along the conversation earlier, especially if you have automated testing, because at least you have some automated testing to help validate like how things are supposed to work. So at least if somebody screws something up, you know that you broke, like it's supposed to work this way. Right. But I think QA in general is helpful and QA a lot of times are experts on the product. They know how the product is supposed to work, the features, the functionality, all that stuff. They become product experts um, if you have really good QA people. And they contain a lot of that tribal knowledge as well about how the product is supposed to work. Yeah, and that's that, you know, that uh, I still feel like the avoidance of tribal knowledge, like, and we can, that there's different kinds. There's the the spoken kind and there is like, I don't know, man, I've never been, I've never been a huge advocate of like over documentation, meaning like you have as many people that are writing documents about your shit. Cause the thing is when you write documents, if you're not willing to keep up with them, then they just, they become obsolete in a hurry. Um, so you gotta, and you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of interesting products and things out there. The world of technology has probably created something that, uh, that moves that needle forward. All right. So uh, before we do the Founders Freestyle, just a quick reminder that today's episode of Startup Hustle is brought to you by Fullscale.io. Let us help you build an amazing development team, like the team you want, not just the team you can afford. That's part of what we help with, and we'll help you do it quickly and affordably and create and provide a lot of the background structure that it takes to be successful. So Matt, really in the end, as we kind of sum up today's uh, episode and the content uh, within, I mean, what's the best advice for avoiding technical debt? I mean, I know we just mentioned a few things, but like you get to pick one. I think the key is you're not going to avoid it and you just have to understand what it is. And we talked earlier about like opportunity costs and you have risk as well. And it's just trying to understand what is our opportunity cost, right? We can spend forever perfecting this thing versus what does the customer need? What's going to bring revenue to the customer, you know, to the, to the business and make the customer happy, all those things. And it's always a, a balancing act. And ultimately you've, I always say there's things you have to do, you need to do, and you want to do. Right. And, um, Technical debt sometimes fits in all three of those buckets, but the, the point is you've got to balance all three of them. You, you've always got to be paying down the technical debt a little bit at a time, but you can't put all of your attention on it. And I've got a, a developer on my team now that drives me crazy because he's like that perfectionist guy. And he would literally never ship a product because he would never, he, he's the guy that would never open the restaurant. And him and I don't see eye to eye a lot of times, as you can imagine. But sometimes he, we, we create a healthy balance between the two of us. So I like to move fast and break things, as you would say. He likes to not move at all and not break anything. Um, and neither one of those are probably good on the extreme. Somewhere in the middle is better. But you just have to understand it's part of, part of, the, of the business of what, of what happens. I recently had someone uh, uh, refer to that as gold plating. Yeah. Meaning like, you know, you get these people that, that, that they, they want to gold plate everything and not everything, very few things and, and almost no things to be honest are truly worth gold plating. So when you sit there and you try to make everything perfect, it really can slow things down. I mean, I think for, I think for me, the, um, I, I, I think if I have to give the best advice is to just really try to develop a sense for what is acceptable and what isn't. 
you know, like there are, there are, and some of that's a feel thing, you know, it's like, like I said, I'd, I'll be the first person that's like, does it work? Cool. Ship it, you know? Well, like, here, and here's but at the same time, but at the same time, like you got to know what you can't just be in the habit of doing that every single time. I got a great example are, for you. It, well, it, but if you do that though, as a founder and the leader, if you're that guy or gal, and you're just always like, ship it, ship it, ship it, ship it that you can't get pissed or upset or frustrated when think when the car breaks down on the middle of the highway. I got a great example of this and it's with Volscale, right? We're in business. We've got 200 employees. We don't have an automated invoicing system. Nope. Just but it works. That today. We, it works. Invoicing day, right. Yeah. Right. It, yeah. It's manual work. We go through spreadsheets, whatever, and do invoicing, review it all, but it works, right? Like, that doesn't prevent us from being in business. It's somewhat technical debt or it's a scalability issue. At some point in time, it gets painful enough that you've got to solve it. And I think that's the key is trying to figure what is the level of pain associated with these things? Yeah. And that's, and you know, and that's a, that's a bandwidth issue. Cause in some cases, like for example, there are out of the box products that will invoice certain things automatically, but there's some, a little bit of complexity to what we do and how we do it that makes that a little less straightforward. And then some of it's just the uh, reactionary, you know, the company's grown so fast. It's like getting, strapping things down. It's like a pickup truck at, on the highway, you know, with in the back and a strap comes loose and it's, you know, flailing around in the wind. It's like, you know, can, can you manage that? Or do you pull over? Do you do a lot of different things? And I mean, uh, you know, I recently asked the question in the Startup Hustle Facebook chat, is there, uh, is there such thing as a business having good problems? And I got, we got a unanimous yes. Um, now, ask the person that's fully immersed in experiencing the problem. They may have a different answer, but you have to basically get, come to an agreement with yourself about what's acceptable. And that's, I mean, that's my best advice is like, just try to gain an understanding. I think if, uh, if what you're working on and what you're fixing doesn't bring you new users or keep the ones you have, then you probably focus on the wrong stuff. So I, I, you know, I like I, the idea the of end, the, uh, it works, it works. Yep. And I like the idea of applying the, the pain index, right? How much pain does this cause? And does it cause our employees pain or our customers pain? Yeah. And that's, that's opportunity cost. I'm, I'm picturing that thing at the doctor's office that has the like one to 10 and they're like, point at your number of pain, point at the pain <laughs> level, you know? And if you're like at a two or yeah. a three, they're giving you an aspirin, like, you know, but it, you know, by the time you get up to the top, they're like, okay, we're going to, we're going to just put you, we're going to just knock you out for a while. So uh, you want to avoid that. Well, Matt, another great episode. For those of you interested in building your software team, go to fullscale.io. We'd love to help you out. We can give you a lot of good advice about uh, about the approach pattern to building an effective team. And, you know, like, like I said, there's no such thing as a business without problems. And there's no such thing as a software as software without bugs. So at the end of the day, give yourself a little bit of a break. It's completely unavoidable on some levels. And then some of it is Matt, I'll see you next week. See ya. Thank you. 
Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time. Like we do it like